Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Welcome to this episode of the Australian Investors Podcast. Good to be here as always. It's great to be here as usual. Uh, today, this will be our final Two Cents episode. So final uh, Q&A, bit of banter, bit of fun um, before we close out the year. But rest assured, everyone, we have got two episodes that come to you during the break, including um, a review of the top stocks of 2023 and then some forecasts for 2024, some stock tips, some shopping tips, some <laughs> fashion tips, fashion tips, styling tips, styling tips. We've got all that coming to you during bond the break. Tips. But this is the, yeah, bond tips. Yeah. Uh, this is I the said blonde tips, but oh, was, blonde tips. Yeah, yeah. There's no blonde tips coming. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Drew's going to th- do a throwback to the early 2000s slash late 90s <laughs> um, and just get some bleach blonde <laughs> tips. I actually had them for a while too. I was Did you really? Photos, yeah. Did you really? You also seem very popular. Getting a few messages there. Um, so today we're going to talk about. We're just going to review some of the the, the things that we heard, things that we said this year. Uh, but one of the things that you sent to me via text message was some of the events that happened this year. So let's quickly go through them. Let's just remember these events that happened in the year. And I'm going to read this from JPMorgan.com. Um, Okay, so these are some of the things. China ended its zero COVID policy. The US government hit its legal $31.4 trillion debt limit. You and I were chatting to Professor Bill Mitchell Mitchell this week who told us that it's all just a joke. Um, Balloon gate, that one, Drew, I totally forgot about that. Do you remember that? Yeah, when I think it wasn't one of the Chinese balloons went over someone else's territory and then popped somehow. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm pretty sure the US sent fighter jets and shot yeah. it there. <laughs> Just for a bullet. I'm sorry, for a balloon. Yep. Kansas City Chiefs win the Super Bowl. No one cares about that. Mahomes. Yep. Everyone cares about that. Silicon Valley Bank failed. Oh, I forgot about that. That was this year. That was in March. Yeah. yeah. It felt like it was two years ago. I remember. It was Ch- a cold morning. I remember that. <laughs> and all the phone calls started to come through. Oh, God. I remember I was chatting to. Uh, venture capitalist Joe Mager, who just started his fund, and he, I was on the phone to him. He's from Austin, Texas, and he was like, oh, did you hear the news? I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, the Silicon Valley Bank collapsed. <laughs> I was like, oh, 
Anyway, wait, how are you going? What does that mean? <laughs> Full liquidity crisis around the world and we didn't know about it. <laughs> yeah. uh, Xi Jinping re-elected as president of China. I didn't realize that. That elections. was pretty big too because it basically made him, you know, not um, – he essentially can't be removed from office according to some experts. So it's like an extended huh. term. Oh, wow. Uh, OpenAI launches GPT-4. That's pretty cool. Taylor Swift announces she'll be joining the Australian Investors Podcast. Massive. Oh, well, <laughs> credit to us. Feel you how important on a global scale is on show. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. UBS bought Credit Suisse. Remember that? Everyone said Massive. Credit Suisse was going to trigger a world collapse. I feel, feel like, well, because of what markets are doing at the end of the year, it feels like everything's gone well. But there's so much happening. There's so much happening this year. Uh, LMVH becomes the first European company to reach $500 billion market cap. Wow. I didn't even know that. Still smaller than Apple. Yeah, still small. <laughs> uh, JP Morgan Chase yeah. takes over the over First Republic. That was another bank that was going to yeah. collapse. One of the other uh, victims of, of interest rate increases and liquidity withdrawal. Uh, the next one is quite interesting, polarizing. Uh, who ends COVID-19 declaration of a global health emergency for, you know, that COVID thing? Um, might have it at the moment, actually. Uh, anyway. I took uh, a test just before. It was really strange. Coronation of uh, Charles III and his wife, Camilla, as king and queen. Massive. Yeah, that was a big thing. Someone did say that there was perhaps of the Commonwealth, not just in the United Kingdom, or is that, is that how it works? Some, some might say some things. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> NVIDIA, blockbuster earnings report, kicks off AI hype. It's like a three hundred percent jump in revenue, wasn't it? Oh, I remember reading that. That was inc- that was incredible. U.S. government suspends the debt ceiling. Yawn again. Uh, yeah, <laughs> New York City covered in orange smoke as from uh, Canada's wildfires. That was big. I remember that. Um, what else we got here? Uh, U.S. CPI in May were report- officially marked a halving in inflation. That's what we need here, don't we, Doctor? From a peak of nine point two percent, I think it was, down to like four point six. Crazy. The Titan submarine implosion. Gosh, yeah, that, that felt like weeks ago. That didn't feel like that long ago. Hottest global temperature ever recorded. Ouch. Um, Federal Reserve hikes interest rates for the final time in 2023. In 2023. Oh, it's interesting that they said in 2023, not for the final time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we don't have good forecast in here. It's a bit smarter, a bit more switched on. Uh, Fitch downgrades. Credit rating for the U.S. government from AAA to AA. What do you make of that, Drew? And this was massive, actually. That you know, whenever a potential downgrade happens, you get through this whole talk about the government being at more risk of default. But as we know from our chat with Bill, governments can't default if they print their own, not print, create, or have their own currency. Type um, numbers into type a numbers computer. into a computer. <laughs> but all the like another one that, that's that was massive. It got headlines for weeks and weeks and weeks about how bad it was for the economy and for borrowing costs, and it didn't matter. <laughs> Yet again. It literally didn't matter. <laughs> Yet again, it was proven that the government can just type numbers into a computer <laughs> and money appears. <laughs> but everyone will worry about it. Don't worry about that, Drew. Everyone, the world is collapsing. Don't forget All that. that. Wasted ink. Everyone keeps telling me. Chip designer, ARMS IPO, soared nearly 25% in market debut, marking the largest IPO of the year. Didn't it fall almost immediately after? Yeah. Yeah, yeah pretty sure. Brent crude oil prices rally almost 20% in a month to peak at $97 a barrel. Remember that when they were negative? Yeah, it wasn't long ago. <laughs> and a hundred dollar, like a hundred dollar barrel oil, plus what inflation at massive levels, plus downgrade, plus plus plus, and we still we still went all right. 
start of the Israel-Hamas conflict. That's more recent. 10-year US Treasury yield hits 5% in intraday trading for the first time since 2007. I reckon that was one of the most impactful things. We'll probably do more on that, knowing mm. how, how switched I am with interest rates, but oh, that was huge. Of course. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried convicted of one of the largest financial frauds on his on record. Yeah. Hands up if you called crypto. Yeah, like I said, NFTs. But I did get a new phone. So when I changed to the new phone, I didn't write down my OpenSea wallet. <laughs> so you lost your NFTs. So I, I can never, ever recruit my NFTs. <laughs> Makes sense. I mean, where's ASIC when you need them? This is not, uh, not personal advice. <laughs> uh, Eli Lilly, weight loss drug, obtains approval in the US. And you go, that's big. Ozempic or very similar, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Ozempic is probably the story of ResMed for the year. I think Equity Maces came out and said the number one company of the year in their community was ResMed because of Ozempic. Um, the Magnificent Seven stocks add more than $200 billion of market value in a single day. Jesus, law of big numbers, I guess. Uh, US aggregate bonds post their best monthly returns. It's 1985. So that was just like three months before they probably had their worst monthly return in, yeah. in decades as well. And they had the best not long after. Gold closes at an all-time high. Um, COP28 climate talks end with a call to transition away from fossil fuels. Jeez. Um, finally, the Federal Reserve signals rate, rate hikes cuts. are oh. over and, and cuts are on the cards. Woo. We don't have the buttons today, unfortunately. We don't. We're recording remotely. But... That's the USA, Drew. Not yep, uh, close enough. Dear, dear well, what they do, we do. Yeah. What's, so, what's the lesson from all this? Well, the lesson is give up. Give up. <laughs> stop trying to predict markets. Just stay invested and maintain a diversified portfolio. The end. That is the end of the Australian Investors Podcast series. <laughs> See you later, Irritator. <laughs> I mean, it is a common story. Like the amount of times we'll have new clients coming, existing clients asking about de risking their portfolios or want to add more risk at, at various points. And there are literally, all we, all, what we always say is there's always enough reasons not to do anything or just sit in cash. Like you put all those things into a year. It feels like they, they could happen over a decade and it would be impactful enough. But despite all of them happening, mm. we've actually seen pretty solid returns from most uh, share markets over the year. I think the ASX isn't far off from an all-time high. Yeah, well, let me just bring up... Uh NDQ, the NASDAQ 100 year-to-date. At the time of recording, which is the 21st of December, year-to-date, artificial date, yeah, sure, up 51%. 51% just jump in the NASDAQ. <laughs> That's just the stock market overall. Don't worry about that, guys. Uh, now looking at the IVV, the S&P 500 ETF, up 24%. Let's go ASX 200. And this is with a few cycles. So we had the, like the AI jump early on, then we had the kind of bear market that came from July mm -hmm. for a few months, and now we've kind of got this – Bond yield, as bond yields have fallen, which we'll probably chat about too, in the last month or so, markets rallied on the back of that. The, the ASX 200, I just realized this, just including price return, not dividends, is up 10% since November 1st. So that's like seven weeks. Significant. Jamie um, sent me a since, uh, screenshot of this, just said crazy. <laughs> since um, since interest rates were expect, being expected to be like, Stopping, basically, uh, up eight percent for the year, not including dividends. So every, you know, major pund market pundit out there that says, "Oh yeah, the stock market's going down because interest rates going up." Well, that didn't happen. So keep well, them accountable. Technically, interest rates went down. Well, 
Not the not the cup <laughs> that uh, Dr. Andrew Derrimuth was, was expecting. But you know what? The other one, property went up. <laughs> Did it? Oh, across the year. Yeah. Property price went up. Yeah. So um, basically, everything went up. Not in a straight line, though. That's probably the important thing. Oh, this thing on the ASX 200, if you took that same number, which says 8% for the year, if you took that a month ago, you would have been flat. And if, so, you, if you were right, you know, following the headlines, you, I think well, the market, the US market's dropped by more than I think they're 15% off in the kind of second half of the year. And a lot of people were basically starting to sell out at that point. So, And there are probably three main cycles throughout the year as well. But the big, big story is going to be bond yields. You could have both won and made and lost money, significant money in bond markets in within I think three months, six months. Yeah. What else is big is we went on the road this year. We um, did. We went on the road. So if anyone did get a chance to catch up and have a drink with us or say good day, uh, it was wonderful to see you uh, at the ten Rask events or even at the Waddle Retirement event in Melbourne. It was so good to just catch up with everyone and. Shoot the breeze. Uh, there'll be more of that happening in 2024, so stay tuned. Uh, closer to home, we achieved 6 million downloads on the Rask podcast, which is pretty ginormous. It's up about, off the top of my head, about 40% on 2022. Credit to you. Thank you, sir. All Monique and Kate. Um, none of us. Um, Zip. Uh, which is a wonderful company, is down 2% year-to-date. For those of you that are long-time listeners of the Australian Investors Podcast, Drew is well well and truly ahead at the time of recording, down 2%. Dubba, down 68%. Who would have thought about that? Brainchip, one of the most popular companies involved in AI, computing on the edge, down 76%. Um, that's, a, that's tough. Tough news for the Brainchip shareholders. Uh, interest rates, up a long way here in Australia. Uh, and as we know, the broader market is up. So I think one of the takeaways from looking at our um, long-running, long-suffering, speculative stocks there is that perhaps uh, invest in broad-based ETFs and in really high-quality companies, um, especially when interest rates are uncertain. I think that would be one of the takeaways. And the, thing that, the interest rates right. impact different parts of the market and different assets in different ways. So I think everyone thought the experience of those sort of companies would have been what happened in property as well because interest rates are so important. But different, there's different supply and demand dynamics and the issue with those companies generally is that they need access to cash and cash got or, or funding and funding got a lot more expensive. Yep. Um, I would noticed you, one of you... Mm-hmm, go on. Would you guess where the US bond yield started? at the beginning of the year at a time when we talked about uh i think we were pretty positive on bonds but not not many others were positive yet us bonds beginning of the year well because the beginning of the year i would say four percent yep just about because it was six months before that that it started moving a lot moving hard yep yeah and they peaked at about five did they okay and where do you think they ended the year I think you told me this just before. You told me where it ended. Was it like three point something? Back at four. Back at four. Back essentially, at four. They, essentially, they finished where they started. Yeah, right. Interesting. Which kind of shows, I mean, for those who bought it 4%, essentially they would have got a 4% return if they held all the way through. If they sold into the into when interest rates or bond yields are pushing higher in the second half of the year, then they would have capitalized losses. And if they continue to hold them, they would have been rewarded by the interest payments. 
It's crazy to think that global aggregate bonds are up 4% in the past month. Yep. Bond yields of this is this like is you, we've been talking about it for months though. Yeah. You're getting four to five percent by lending money essentially to the to the biggest government in the world. And um, as Bill Mitchell said, it might not be here forever. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, they might wake up one day and be like, no one gets bonds anymore. <laughs> and if bond yields fall, you make money. Uh, yeah. so they go up, you don't make money. But but the good thing is for anyone listening to this, the Aussie bonds haven't moved as. St- hard because the forward rate curve is pricing in a bit of a cut but not as bad as the US. So in English means that there could still be some capacity for you to allocate to government bonds. And you probably should anyway. 4% on a government bond is still pretty solid. Oh, particularly if you think interest rates are going to fall. And this moves quickly too. Like bond yeah. yield, as you can see, bond yields went from 4 to 4 but had a massive period of volatile. They're probably more volatile than equities during the year. Um so peak was 20%, bottom was yeah. 20%. Um, yeah. Um, but this is the good time. Well, I think I'm pretty sure this time last year we said it's the greatest time in recent years to build a portfolio. And yeah. because one of the reasons that we said that was because of bonds, uh, one of the big reasons. But even equities at the time, like shares were down. Like, And then look, NASDAQ's up 100, not 150%. S&P 500's up 24, ASX up 8%, bonds up um, like modestly, as you said. But like that gold at all-time highs, like that does not happen often. No. Normally they don't move like that. So the gold is not a, you know, not a good asset for periods of higher interest rates and increasing interest rates as well. Mm. So a lot of those old-fashioned rules that everyone kind of sticks to were broken. Yeah. Just shows you that, like you said, Asset allocation, building a diversified portfolio. Also, um, be born 30 years ago. And the recession um, never came. Yeah, well, that's it, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, well, it could, to be honest, it could still be a pretty – it could be tough for a lot of Australia next year, to be honest, 2024. Well, we know it already is in, you know, the, the kind of mortgage belt or anyone that bought properties with 80% hmm. leverage in the last two years – have seen like a tripling of interest repayments. Yeah. We talked about the wealth redistribution. So those with assets are now earning better returns without taking any risk. Yeah. If you're in retirement, you've got 500 grand sitting in a cash account. Happy days. Um, I was was chatting to Koshi, David Koshi, he was saying something similar, like one of his family members, they tracked her. um, She's got a small retirement balance and they were tracking her cash interest payments from a term deposit over the past three years. And it went from nothing to a couple of grand to like 15 grand in interest. And she was like, what? This doesn't make any sense. Um, and it, that's that's the way it is, right? Like um, folks that have cash balances right now are doing very well because they're getting the asset value increase, but also the increased income, which is just almost unheard of. Uh, I, I noticed in your notes here before, Drew, you had something – it's a bit there. Retail super outperforming. Retail, yeah. yeah. Yeah, what's that about? There's a bit. A big article came out in the Fin Review today which talked to, you know, there's this long-term view that the profit for members or industry funds were always the cheaper op- option and the, and the outperforming option. Um, but some data came out today that showed retail super, so, you know, something issued by like BT, CFS, <clears throat> ING, all those sort of groups. So random examples, yep. Yeah. Because of what happened during the Royal Commission, a lot of those products have been kind of rationalised and got much lower costs on them uh, and returns have been 
quite strong as well, probably less alternative assets and more traditional bonds and equities. Um, so I think the their my super products are now as competitive on a fee and performance base, I believe, maybe not performance, as industry funds. So it's not as clear cut. It was always kind of clear cut that industry funds were so much cheaper. Yeah. Interesting. You mean one of these ones? Yeah. Thanks, Chris Tucker. Protecting your nest egg. Yeah, the guys, so for those of you that don't know, if anyone's ever seen the big industry super ads, you know how that looks like they're holding an egg, a nest egg, and protecting it? That was uh, the guy in our office come up with that idea. Um, where's so, the skivvy? Where's, where's the skivvy? Good day, Tucker Bags. Anyway, shout out to Chris. Um, so in, in summary, it's been a hell of a year for people. Uh, there's been a lot of headlines to be scared of. But as they always say, markets climb the wall of worry. There's always something to be worried about. And that's basically it. All you can do is you can control what you can control, your circle of influence, and that's it. There's nothing else out there. So and trust they invested in. And what we say is always invest for multiple outcomes because if you invested solely for a recession, you would have been very disappointed when the end of the year came yeah. um, and your portfolio would have underperformed significantly. But if you're investing for multiple outcomes, then uh, you, you know, you've got every chance of compounding every year. You know, I was presenting at a um, ladies finance club just last week in Sydney. Uh, shout out to Molly Lana and the team that put that together. It was a great event. And a lovely lady after the event comes up to me and she was very, she was having a good night. And, um, <laughs> Not like a robot. Um, was it? What was her, what was her name? Uh, the AI, AI chick from Adelaide this year, uh, Sophia. Anyway, this lady, lovely lady comes up to me and basically says like, t- she she politely called me a C word. And um, <laughs> she's like, uh, she's like, I'm not listening to any of you C words um, <laughs> because I think the system's rigged. Uh, and I tried to make a $10 bet with her before she ran off. Uh, I tried to make a $10 bet that I'd see her back here in five years and the market would be higher. But um, she kind of took off before that could happen. So if you're listening to this, Google Calendar as well. (laughs) If you're listening to this, uh, the bet is on. I think the stock market will be higher in five years than it is today. I think the world will be a better place in five years. I'll take that bet. Oh, okay. You want to do it? Which stock market? The ASX? Yeah, the ASX. It's taken 17 years for it to keep at the same level as it currently is. Okay. I'll I'll make you a $10 bet. It's going to go straight to my Google Calendar. ASX 200. I'm going to pop this in our calendars now. It's 7,504. So I keep a uh, tab on Drew, by the way, guys, to say uh, if we do like a bet, we have to make sure that it goes straight in the calendar because otherwise we won't remember. So I think Owen says ASX 200 above 7,504 points in five years. There we go. And uh, that's it. That's basically it. Will it be higher? I think so. You reckon it'll be lower? I just want to take the other side of the bet for once. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, that's some conviction right there. So, uh, recurs after five years once. Okay. I like it. Dear listener, if you have any uh, opinion on that, let us know. I'm going to do Drew. I'm going to do Drew. There you go. There's your email address. Remember when you used to say your email address publicly? Anyway. Don't that's, do in that that's in that's public. Uh, okay, so we've got some questions sent in, Drew. Um, unless you want to cover some of these ASX results real quick. There was a whole heap of takeovers. I don't know if we covered that last week. That happened. Yeah, that came in yeah. It's yeah. like five billion of takeovers in like twenty minutes last week. So 
like Link Group, which does the administration for industry super funds. So I think I just mentioned uh, we met um, Yara the week before. We were talking about Link. Yeah. Um, Hexa, which had used to own Tanked. Pacific Smiles got a takeover offer. Tabcor finally got its Victorian wagering license, not that we invest in gambling, but that was pretty massive as well. Mm-hmm. And there was a deal between Stockland and Lendlease. So something like $6 billion of capital changing hands. I think it was last Friday when we were all off on our Christmas party. <laughs> Everything was happening markets, albeit not, not in the top end, of, don't say the top end, but it's in the, in the kind of large cap end of town. But what Do you think that is just like everyone's having Negronis at Christmas parties and they're making deals and not really <laughs> realising? Oh, I think it's just a pen. Maybe they got bonuses that rely on more kind of con- more deals to be made at the end of the year. Yeah, but I think it's. I mean, it's getting harder and harder to find growth. I think if you've already passed on a lot of cost to consumers, um, you need to find growth somewhere, and they're doing it through mergers or or purchase outright purchases. I think mm. most do, and probably cash and equity for a lot of these too. It's probably um, also a sense of like lower borrowing costs are expected in the future. Yeah. And Orica bought as looking to pivot as well. I found that one kind of interesting. So they mm, went into I, like a set, similar to your what's your favorite laser? Is it Laser Bond? Laser Bond, yeah. They bought. I don't think it's anything like that, but it does sense as <laughs> data. <laughs> Come on, give me a break. It's the end of the year. <laughs> so it does sensors and what data delivery? So it's basically kind of um, measuring. So mm-hmm. Orica does a lot of explosives and works with a lot of the either the fossil fuel or the yeah, mining, mining industries. So kind of diversifying away from that, um, which I found was super interesting. Mm-hmm. I like it. Um, well, we did get a lot of questions sent in this week because uh, we did call for them. So we'll try and get through as many as we can. Um, as a reminder, any of the discussions that we have on the Australian Investors Podcast or on any of the RAS podcasts is strictly limited to general financial information only. The reason we say that is because we have to, but seriously, it's because we don't know your personal circumstances, your needs, your goals, or your objectives. So you should seek the advice of a licensed and trusted financial planner like, say, Drew here. If you're in retirement, you can get in contact with Drew and the Waddle Partners team by heading to the link in your show notes that says financial planning. Christmas time is a great time to reach out to financial planners by the way guys to research and they may not be working but at least you can learn more about them watch what they do online and start the year afresh with some uh, professional support so make use of that if you've if you or your partner or your friends or your family really need help particularly around retirement which is an absolute must for financial planning just reach out reach out um usually yes here, here a lot after christmas so yeah do it Reach out, do it now. <laughs> no, um, and also, if we mention any products like super funds, ETFs, managed funds, insurance, it's really important that you read the product disclosure statement and in some cases, the target market determination. It's a TMD. It's a new document that tells you who the product is designed for. Um, but read that because it tells you more about the thing that you're trying to invest in or the insurance or whatever. Um, it's good. It's a great document and it's required um, that you read. Uh, before you, you before you purchase the product, the financial product. So Screen Jockey writes in and says, what private company do you wish was listed so you could invest in them? Mine would be Lego, not only for the toys, for multiple license revenue streams, they get, oh, but for the multiple license revenue streams they get from movies, books, TV shows, etc. Really could be a cash machine. Yeah, Lego has been around for a very, very, very long time. One of the wonderful companies. What else? This is a really tough one. I didn't prepare for this. It's a very difficult one to answer. I feel like something around coffee. Like coffee is so central to everything I do all the time. Yep. You know, I get, and anyone out there can tell me if six or seven coffees a day is too many. 
So coffee there, are, related. there don't seem any specific coffee-related businesses listed. You know, Woolworths sells beans and um, maybe there's a reason for that because it's agricultural and be very difficult to manage. But while you're answering, I'm going to try and find a better one. Okay. Well, I was going to say oh, Stripe because um, it's just one of those businesses of our current era that's really interesting. Um, the the business itself does has revealed some data over time, but that's one. Uh, I'd probably go Canva as an Australian business. That would be wonderful. I don't think that type of business would list in Australia. I think it's too big. But if Canva was listed on the Australian Stock Exchange, it would give so much more legitimacy to the Australian market that it would just be like wonderful to see that playing out on our Australian market, much like Atlassian, but Atlassian went and listed on the NASDAQ. Um, there was one more business, which I'll, I'll get to in a sec, but um, is there anything from you, Drew? Yeah, so you can see the Lego on the uh, desk here behind me as well. Yes. I would suggest below that is an IKEA storage oh. unit. Oh, the IKEA. IKEA. The old flat pack furniture, which continues to improve better yeah. and better with styling. So IKEA would have to sit there. Love love building some IKEA furniture, getting the tools out with the boys and, you know, a couple of, uh, what do you call them? Allen <laughs> keys. Yeah. 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 Frustration, um, you put things together the wrong way and then you've got to do it again, but that's fine. I hate putting together IKEA, nothing worse. Um, but I, I like the business and I love the um, the food and the food court. People uh, just there, get lost in there, it's great. There is another business which I was didn't think I would say, but I'll mention it anyway, um, which is Aldi. a business that came through from, oh, Aldi would be interesting, but no, um, from Matt's story a few months ago, uh, for those of you that know Matt, um, is Faber-Castell. Oh, pencils. Yes. So interesting. Pencils, they do more. So interestingly, how old do you reckon this business is? 200 years old. It's 262 years old. That's pretty close. And it's owned by the family. It's incredible. It's incredible, right? And it just makes like pencils. Um, Incredible business. Survived through things like the Second World War and all of that. Uh, wonderful business. Um, Just really interesting. So that's a good question, Screen Jockey. Thank you for that. Have a Merry Christmas. Uh, Golden Oldies says, uh, in brackets, old before my time. Hmm. Uh, hey, Finn bros. I was wondering when it is when is it a good time to split slash search for a new financial advisor? What are the warning signs you could recommend? Is a fee suddenly increased, the returns seem to stagnate, or maybe it's the advisor changing firms, late to respond to messages, or long time between correspondence? I know this will be generalized advice, but you always talk about getting an advisor, but anything that you could anything that you could inform the audience about when to avoid would be most appreciated. What is it Charlie Munger says? It's easier to avoid stupidity than it is to seek brilliance. Um, <laughs> and actually, it's part of our investment philosophy is based around just that, just avoid the worst, which creeps into everything somehow when it's popular. So, I get a lot of questions like this, Drew. Like I get a lot of people say, they're just not sure. They might get a. They might have a meeting or a couple of meetings or even join a financial planning group, and then be like, you know what? I don't know if I made a mistake. So how do people know? I think you got to think about it similarly to you would the relationship with a doctor because it is like a professional relationship that you've got, and the relationship is key to it. And everything that comes out of that is kind of product. So a lot of the focus on advice and sacking an advisor comes down to what the performance has been, but performance is 
or investment performance is only one part of that equation. So if the performance is much more different than what you expected or it seems like it's much more risky or it's not suited to what you're actually asking for or if the questions you're asking aren't being answered in a, in a way that's appropriate, I think those are, are triggers you should be looking at, not just that the market had a bad year or that returns were bad. I'm always wary of that. Um, and I, I think communication is key. So anything that changes significantly and if that's you know, a lack of responsiveness when they used to be responsive, um, not hitting annual updates or not not being proactive in terms of contacting you is generally you get generally seeing red flags or potentially advice firms that have grown quickly and they and can't necessarily service the, the amount of clients that they have. Yeah, a lot of them um, would rather not speak to you because <laughs> the, <laughs> the, legal, the compliance that comes into speaking. <laughs> yeah. Um, a lot of people being sacked by their advisors at the moment too, which is unfortunate, very unfortunate. What's that, sorry? A lot of clients are being cancelled or sacked by their financial advisors. Because they're not profitable. They can't for- deal with them. Or they, yeah, they're not, they're not spe- they're, the advisor isn't a specialist in that area or they're on a business basis, they're kind of non-profitable clients. And you've seen that. What happened when the banks left is that there's millions of people without advice. Yeah, it's because um, they couldn't do it, right? But maybe in 2024, that does get a slight nudge in the right direction with the the advice reforms. But um, yeah, I'd say maybe if you're in this situation, uh, golden oldies, is just go and speak to another financial advisor and see what they say, like to see how they react. Um, you can always get a second opinion on financial advice as well. Like I would encourage you to do that. It's just speak to someone. If they haven't responded to you in months, well, then that's a big problem. And um I guess the other things that you might want to, yeah, I mean, they've got a sudden fee increase. I would expect some fee increases from financial planners because their costs have gone up very significantly. Like, yeah. For compliance, for software, for legal costs. Like over the last few years, things have really been difficult for a financial planning firm. So I'd expect them to go up a bit. But that said, some of the fees that you might be referring to might be like underlying investment fees. Some of those have come down. So um, maybe there's a bit of give and take there. But um, I'd say shop around. You can head to moneysmart.gov.au. You can head to uh, other resources like PFAR and all these websites to see if there are other financial planners near you. Um, that would be what I would suggest. So uh, Snotty Drooler. Oh, this is, I remember reading this question and I thought this was, this is more like a, I don't know what, I don't know how I would characterize this question, but it's got to be one of the funniest ones I've come across this year because it's also quite direct so here here goes from a snotty drooler they say owen don't mean to get you in trouble but this one's for you according to the motley fools us usa's marketing they've beaten the s p 500 index by 500 percent if you take the average of their tips you worked at their australian branch is that even roughly true if so what did why did you quit you got fired didn't you because you weren't 5xing it uh year in year out Further, I have just joined the Australian branch. Will I be rich now? Okay, so. <laughs> so this, oh, this is me. I put this question in, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a snotty drooler. It makes sense. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I can't speak for the Motley Fool, right? Okay, I, I, that's my former employer for sure. There's um, no get-rich-quick scheme that works. No, and I think maybe in this instance they might be referring to 500% Maybe that's the total return of like the whole thing. The Molly Fool, despite its pretty heavy marketing, I must admit has the analysts and what they believe in is actually they 
truly believe um, what they do. And I think they genuinely have the best interests of their community at heart, but they also run a marketing business as well. Like the marketing, they need to make money. So that's how they do it. Um, they got to do on everything. Yeah. All the time. yeah. So there's, of course, on average, you probably, you know, if you get 60% of your picks right mm-hmm. when you're a fund manager or a portfolio manager, you're generally well ahead. So if you yeah. make that many tips. I think, um, I think in the USA, I think David Gardner, who um, up until recently was one of the leads on that main multi full service, I think he's probably the best investor of our generation in the world. Um, I just think the way he looks at companies is just was so unique starting from the mid 90s or early 90s up until 2021 2022 i think you can listen to the rule breaker podcast snotty drooler um, and you get a sense of who david is but i think he's probably one of the investors that um really changed the world for a lot of people and opened their eyes and the motley fools you know one of the things i learned the motley fool is they're a massive business particularly in the united states and um they've had They've got freelancers, as Drew was referring to. They've got a lot of people that write. And no one – there is no house view at the Motley Fool, so everyone is entitled to their own opinions. Um, obviously, it has to be within the law. Um, but that's a really unique stance, um, and I find that really refreshing. Now, the Australian business, um, I know a lot of the guys there uh, have a lot of respect for them, um, and they've also outperformed the market if you take the same methodology um, for investing. So I can't make any promises. I think you're saying that tongue in cheek, will I be rich now? But if you can, I think the the rule of thumb that I have for any investor is get I can't get rich slow. Yeah. But also just like you can use someone else's opinion um, as a way to understand investing, but I, I find it very difficult to uh, put my, I find it, I'm unsure of myself if I try and, for example, take someone else's conviction as my own. I think that's a really hard thing to do. Like if someone has a very strong view on a stock, I've got to look into the business myself because at the end of the day, it's my money and I've got to take accountability for that. And so I would just always take research from multiple sources, understand how they got to those answers and do my own research before I invest. That's what I would say. Um, But Broadly, I'll probably cop some shit for this, but broadly, I think the Motley Fool has actually had a very positive impact on the investing world. It's just that some people would say its marketing is very aggressive, which I'd also agree with. Um, and I think the team are really good. And I did not get fired. I actually start, started Rask, Snotty Driller, so that's that's why. And the team were very supportive of me at the time for doing that. So hard-hitting questions from Snotty Driller. Have a wonderful Christmas. It's a um, tough issue here for us. <laughs> <laughs> what's what, what's this? What's the next one? Uh, let me Google it. I'm sorry. Anthropocene is the shit. I don't know what that is. Uh, but they go on to say, while you Google that, Drew, I'm about 10 years from retirement. Must be 22. I have $260,000 in an SMSF. Own- the era or the- what is it? Era, I guess from that book that you've got behind you. The Anthropocene Epoch is an unofficial unit of geologic time used to describe the most recent period in Earth's history when human activity started to have a significant impact on the planet's climate and ecosystems. Now, think, essentially. Now is the shit, essentially. Sorry. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, think, I think everyone's written in this week just to say, um, just to prove how uneducated we are when they put these really big words, like snotty drawer. Um, anyway, 
I'm about 10 years from retirement, have 260K in an SMSF. This is going down too much information, but okay. Uh, own the house my wife and I live in and two apartments in Melbourne with about 180K of mortgage debt. I'm wondering when I switch to my, my super to preservation mode, this is a good question, Drew. Never. Now, five years before retirement, retirement, three years before, ex, ex, that's it. So basically what they're saying is, I'm wondering when I switch my super to preservation mode. Also, they're going to say, what's the best time buffer to avoid a possible market downturn? Will there be a realization of capital from the, there will be a realization of capital from the apartments at some stage. So not worried about the number, more the timing of the investment strategy shift. Love the podcast. So what I'll say here is basically, I'm just going to generalize these questions because there's a lot of information here. First one is when do you switch to super to preservation mode? The second one is how do you, transition people drew so like what does their portfolio look like when you transition someone to retire re- relying on their retirement portfolio i thought there was a third one that's fine <laughs> Sorry. i don't i don't think there's a there isn't an immediate so one of the chapters in the book that we should publish next year um about retirement is that there is no fixed rule there isn't a time where you just switch from being growth to preservation and you know what's happening at the moment where you see inflation the cost of living increases increase it's as important as ever to have both income and growth in in whatever assets you're you're holding so i think preservation mode isn't isn't simple you might be a bit more aggressive so someone might start i don't know if they've got debt and they're still saving they might start with say 80 percent in in growth assets um and 20 percent in low risk assets it could do you know could be 100 percent in growth assets like you or i um what you tend to do is adjust the risk, adjust the level of risk you're taking as they near retirement that to, in effect, target a certain level of income that they need. Uh, and ultimately, that ends up being closer to a balance between growth and, and um, defensive assets, if that makes sense. Okay. So, but you would start that process, what, like five yes, years? You do it over a period of years or quarters. So, we, we like the ability to rebalance because naturally, if you, you know, if you came in, started your retirement in 2020, you don't want to be selling all your equities to buy more bonds in 2020. Could have been that would have been the worst thing you ever did if you did that, because yeah. uh, bonds did incredibly badly and equities did incredibly well afterwards. Um, so I think it's more about a process. So we would, when this happens, we'd generally try and do it over a series of quarters uh, and you know trim holdings that are done well or assets that are done well, and and set them up to the point that when they get to retirement. Um, you're, they're pretty close to where it'll be. But that said, we meet clients all the time that want to change their you know, that, that think they should be more aggressive or more defensive again, 10 years into their retirement. So it's all about those conversations and what each client's kind of, or each person is comfortable with. Yeah. But so someone that is moving to, it's a multi-year process. It's not something that you just kind of switch on or off. And I sell 20% overnight, of course. Yeah. It's kind of the reverse dollar cost averaging, isn't it? Yeah. Or so you wouldn't want to do it in one go. A lot of people, because I know maybe maybe I'll just ask the next question and we can loop these two together. Happy uh, Christmas. The best part of as well is always. So part always. of the way you build a portfolio is you always want it to have a buffer against the downturn. Yeah, That can be in the form of having growth and cyclical companies in your portfolio. It could be having ETFs and active funds. It could be having property and invest, like all, just always cash. preparing cash, bonds, having a little bit of everything in appropriate Know, mm. plan structure is I think is how you protect from a downturn always yep failed property investors this is a good one g'day gurus I bought an apartment in 2008 for four hundred thousand dollars that would have been kind of maybe on the way down I just got it valued and it's now worth ding 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 three hundred and eighty thousand dollars 
So what's that? 15 years it's taken to go backwards 20 grand. I have paid off my $140,000 loan. I'm considering selling it as it is a dud investment and moving the cash to a home loan offset or boring ETF like Vanguard VAS. Would love to know your thoughts on the pros and cons of selling or keeping. Pros, they say, the rent now covers running costs and interest. The cash I put in goes off the principal. I have paid entry costs. Cons, 100K off my home loan would save lots of interest. Love to hear your thoughts. Obviously, uh, get professional advice. Uh, we don't know your personal circumstances. Um, what I would say though, let's just generalize this question because it loops back in with the other one about selling property and that. I think a lot of people, and I've been having these conversations recently, I think a lot of people are going to start selling their investment properties um, and not just for data investment reasons, but I think over the next two years, people will start to liquidate a lot of their those investment properties and not just for the intergenerational aspects of like, hey, we've, we're cashed up, we're a bit older in the 50s, 60s, 70s, but also just because the holding costs on a lot of properties are just- Land tax, interest rates, everything's gone up. Yeah, everything is just so expensive right now and it's so hard to manage with tenancy laws and all these types of things. I think more people who have property will consolidate and then they'll take a lot of that money. If they're a bit older, they'll probably put it straight into super as a non-concessional contribution or they'll put it directly into a low-cost core portfolio, which um, seems very prudent. Now, in this instance, we can't give personal advice, but what I would generally say if someone that's transitioning away from property is that it comes down to your personal circumstances and your, your risk appetite, doesn't it, Drew? Yeah, particularly if you've got gearing on this, you might be making a decision around gearing rather than the outlook for property and making sure you're still comfortable with that. And then it's, you know, you, you the money you're paying for that debt is heading in the right direction. Mm. Um, I think apartments have always struggled to keep up with freehold land. Um, and that's why, but I'd also say that this isn't uncommon. Like property, there's this perception in Australia that property always goes up. We we're talking to Bill Mitchell, the fact that no one speculates mm. in Japan, that no one expects property to go up. Um, but this perception that property always goes up is untrue, and it's it can be very specific in which which parts of property go up. So, it's what do you feel most comfortable with? And I wouldn't say VAS is boring. You're still getting exposure to some, some growing companies, and uh, they're both should be asset class. The benefit of VAS over single property, obviously, is you got one demographic probably that wants to live and rent that property, and then you've got third eleven different sectors that you're exposed to in the in VAS, but the keys make sure you're putting your money to work yeah um as long as the money's put to work i think that's one of the good things if anyone's read dave gow's book strong money a uh, great book came out this year Ten thousand or was basically grown this year in popularity Ten thousand copies sold great book and one of the the parts of that book he compares property versus shares in the old debate and he just says it doesn't really matter you just do one of just do something like it doesn't really matter but I mean, it sounds like I could maybe take the behavioral finance aspect of this. It sounds like this person would get comfort from having less stress in their lives. Like paying off more of that mortgage sounds like a de-stressor, which is almost always the first protocol for me. It's like, well, are you stressed about money? Are you stressed about your portfolio? Well, if that's the case, a lot of people would be better off just putting money in an offset account and just slowly paying down the mortgage as long as you're doing something. I think that's respectable. The problem with an offset account, Drew, as you know, is that if interest rates continue to fall, the implied return is lower and the stock market will probably rally. 
So um, that's something to keep in mind in terms of the cyclical nature of things. But I've never, I don't think, unless it's for a lifestyle thing, Drew, I don't think I'd ever own an apartment. Put it up. I don't think I would. I just... I just don't it's see. Scarcity. It can yeah. be. It'd have to be like they talk about having specific good things about specific things about apartments that make them more scarce. But if if it's in areas where they're building more apartments, then you're in a pretty. You can be in a quite a flooded market. It's a commodity, right? You, yeah. If it's overlooking uh, Sydney Harbour, the Opera House, or if it's looking over, imagine how expensive that would be. Uh, or if it's looking over Central Park, then in New York, then I think that's maybe something that makes it scarce and it's very rare and very valuable. But most apartment blocks are simply not that. If your the value of your apartment goes up so fast, a developer will just put one up a block or so away because they see that value going up. So I think most people in the, the property-heavy situation over the next 10 years will start to liquidate and move into low-cost ETFs um, and funds like VAS and, and so on. So, um, yeah. Okay, so we've got time for two more questions, Drew. I might start with this one because it's just a bit of fun for us to riff on, which is from Frankie Credits. Frankie Credits writes in and says, if you had to pick one thematic, I think they meant to say ETF, what would it be? I'll go first while you think maybe, unless you've got one. I've got one I always like, but uh, it's a bit boring, so... So we can find another one. You go first. Okay. Um, so the one that I was going to say, I just, I don't know if it's, I like the ticker symbol, but uh, ACDC from GlobalX. Oh, a, of course you chose that. A long-term sponsor of Australian Finance Podcast, so the other show. I do like the ACDC ETF. Uh, I quite like, it's not really a thematic ETF, but Qual, which is more of a factor ETF. There's also the quality ETF from BetaShares. I like the quality bent. Um and finally, I would add, I'm not, you asked for 10,000 different ones, but I would add, <laughs> it's still all of mine. I would add Moat. Moat is a quality ETF. It's not really a theme ETF, but it invests in wide Moat companies. It's just got too high turnover for me. Um, okay, so if I just consolidate, I'll pick ACDC because I just think battery and lithium technology is quite interesting. I couldn't have it a core part of my portfolio because I simply don't think it's, I don't have any that level of conviction. It would have to be in the satellite component of a portfolio as a very small position. Uh, I think lithium is one of those commodities which is going to be more in demand. That does not necessarily mean, by the way, that the price of lithium will go up. We learned from BHP this week that they don't think that's the case. They think that it's too much supply of lithium for the price to go back. Well, I'm putting words in their mouth, but the lithium price to go back to such a level. Um, so it's not really su supply constrained commodity, but the world needs the commodity. And I think the battery technology is an interesting uh, move for this ETF. So that would be one. I don't own it, by the way, and I have no intention to invest in it right now. I'm still building out a core portfolio. Drew? I mean, we all know I love Fang. Interesting. Never sold it either. Really? How Probably should have. <laughs> still, in there. still in there pumping away. Let's have a look. Fang up 96% year to date. <laughs> I think a, a, an economist came on winter, the show earlier this year. Economist came on the show and said, what'd they say? They said, I think it's the, my greatest call of all time. I think that was Dr. Andrew Derrimuth. <laughs> but, but we had that ad. For anyone that remembers, we had the ad for GlobalX on the show like a year and a half ago um, over on the finance podcast. It has absolutely ripped through. It has. It's been. It's, it's a doubling this year. I'm pretty sure I bought in January too. So sometimes things go right for patients. Wow. Not don't time the market. Time in the market. 
Yeah, was it in the market? Esports from a you know a, a, a from someone who probably also has a PlayStation or an Xbox at various points in time. The Van Eck yeah. one? Are you talking about esports? Yeah, the Van Eck one definitely. Yeah, um, and then Hack. Yeah, uh, you know the cybersecurity Palo Alto Networks, one of my big holdings, direct, um, which is you know massive cybersecurity company. So Hack has always been that's super niche, of course. So as Pretty you shit. said, yeah. very small, very small allocation to those, but super interesting and things that are hard to build direct. Do you own any ETFs in your super fund? Fang, thanks for letting me say that again. <laughs> uh, and and Hack. And hack. Okay, interesting. Um, anonymous question sent in. Uh, what's the difference between these two courses, the Value Investor Program on Rask and the Value Investor Program with mates? I think they meant to say equity mates. Um, there's two programs. There's the Value Investor Program. That's the old one. Not as good. If I had the cash, I would <laughs> fork out. <laughs> it's there because some people wanted that one. They wanted the old one, which covered some different companies. But the Value Investor Program with equity mates is the best one. It's the best course I would say we've done. And it's normally $4.99, but there's a coupon code back a couple of episodes. I cannot remember what it was off the top of my head. But just keep an eye out over Christmas blank because you will get a chance to get a lot of the stuff that we offer at Rask up to 50% off. So um, keep on the mailing list. If you listen to Rask, keep on the mailing list. You also get prompted uh, to get financial planning and all that sort of stuff over Christmas. So um, stay tuned for that. Uh, we've got time for one more, Drew. Is any that really stand out for you? I know, sorry, uh, I was just prepping for my dad joke. So. Okay, you get your dad joke. Okay, I'll go with this one. This one's quite interesting. Having fun and making dollars says, hey, legends, love the podcast. You gave me the confidence to have a go at investing. Can't thank you enough. Well, we are so happy with that. Probably total noob query, but wondering if you could do an explanation on how Chemist Warehouse's IPO would work on the ASX. Does it just appear one day and you buy as per normal or is there some other process? How do you know what day it's going to hit? Do people generally jump in and buy straight away or wait a bit? Appreciate any commentary. Keep up the good work. Uh, you are worth more money. <laughs> Smiley face. Thank well, you. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, I'm pretty cheap, but uh, Drew, Drew. We're very, free, are we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, free every week. Um, so what? Okay, so do you, should I? Okay, so the uh, I, IPO process. Yeah. Yes. It's not a traditional so, IPO process. No. So this is an IPO. I think we call it an reverse reverse IPO, Drew, or something like this, where it is a IPO that goes through an existing company, um, and that's pretty common because it saves money. I don't know at this scale if it will save money, but typically it saves money. So there's a lot of shonky little exploration companies listed on the ASX, and if you have a private company, so say IKEA in Drew's case early on and you want to go on the stock exchange, you can actually just effectively buy that company that's on the stock exchange, but just put your shares inside of it effectively. Um, and that's the process. And then on day one, it starts trading like normal. The ASX issues the shares um, and there's an announcement made on the ASX website and it says new shares issued under this company, blah, 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 blah. Um, there's typically a prospectus in a new company uh, and you'll have filings and company documentation because the chemist warehouse one is so big you will see a lot of documentation flying through uh, scheme arrangements these types of things and they'll explain the business and so on and so forth the key thing with this one that's quite different is normally if you're a client of a broking business to so say like morgan's bell potter um, any of those types of big companies where they give private uh, 
like clients one-on-one stockbroking advice. What typically happens in those is um, if you're a client of one of those stockbrokers, you are effectively offered stock. Now, it depends on which stockbroker is offering the stock, but in a normal IPO process, this is called a pre-IPO investment where you invest in the company prior to going on the stock exchange, knowing that you can probably sell on the stock exchange. And typically what happens in that situation is you get uh, your shares at a discount to what it would trade at on the market or at a very close price and then expect it to be undervalued. Um, That's the traditional process. With Chemist Warehouse, I don't think, as far as I know, Drew, anyone is getting the chance to invest in it pre-IPO. Maybe there's there's some funds that are getting about two or 300 million via Goldman Sachs, but I think that's about it. it. And then I think HMC had a shareholding in Sigma. So basically it goes into a trading halt and then when it comes out of the trading halt, you can buy it. And I think it went up about 30% or 40% straight after that trading halt. Um, But there's still some hoops to jump through, I think. So it just starts trading. Yep. Um, And so... On day one of a company trading on the stock exchange, you typically have a lot of investors really trying to make what we call a stag profit. And this is where you can buy either in the IPO or at the first open and then hope that it ends the day higher. That can happen, but to be honest, I've never done that and I don't have any interest in doing that as a long-term investor. I like to see how a company trades after the IPO for a few weeks Uh, because a lot of the times in the lead up to an IPO and during the first couple of weeks, there's a big marketing and PR budget put behind that company. They're in the newspaper. The fund managers are banging the drum saying how good we are that we got some stock in Chemist Warehouse, blah, 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 blah. But then it begins to fade uh, and that kind of shine wears off in the first few months and you might get a chance to buy the shares cheap. I think we covered this a few weeks ago, but you get a prospectus for new companies. In the USA, they call them an S1, I believe, um, and what it is, is like the most detailed business profile you've ever seen in your entire life. And it's a great resource if you're researching a company, even if it's five years old, it tells you about the industry, the business, the team, how it formed, etc. Very detailed document. Um, so that's basically in a nutshell how it all works. Now, Drew, we do have to pick the final winner of 2024 for our question, best question to name. Um, we also have to... Uh, do the final dad joke of 2023. So for this week, if anyone, if the person, if you are anyone who wrote in a question this week, you can write into us and you will get the value investor program, the full value investor program curriculum. That's our online course, usually at 499, as blank said. Blank, you don't win because you didn't give us your name. But um, everyone else, you can have a free value investor program. Uh, just write into us, prove that it was you that was asking the question somehow, uh, email us, and um, you'll get the course added to your RASC account. Actually, Blank, if you can prove to us somehow that it was you that submitted the question, by all means, just tell us what time it was or something like that. Um, you got it. So everyone, let's go. These are, the, these are the people that can get a free value investor program. Compounding confusion, Frankie credits, old man yells at stocks. We didn't get to those questions. I like that one. Have, having fun and making dollars. Failed property investors. Anthropocene is the shit. Snotty drooler, golden oldies, and screen jockey. All of you get the value investor program for free. So just write into us, guys. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, all that stuff. Don't forget, we'll be back next week. Um, we've got our 2023 recap. We look at the best performing stocks on the ASX and global markets. And then we talk about 
where Drew and I might have a bit of fun in 2024. It's all a bit of fun, as you know, but that will be coming out before New Year's. Um, so that's all coming out. And then, of course, we have the countdown happening in January. If you've got friends that want to get into investing, send them the Australian Investors Podcast in January. We're counting down the 15 biggest episodes of all time that have appeared on the Australian Investors Podcast. And it's going to be huge. Kind of like the Triple J Hottest 100, except um, only 15 episodes, interview episodes. So, and not as popular. So, but still pretty popular for finance people. So, check it out. It's coming to you in January. Drew, Merry Christmas, mate. I'll probably chat to you between now and then, but Merry Christmas on air. Um, Merry Christmas to you. Enjoy. Yeah. Glad to see your fingers getting better, up. mate. Nearly there. Nearly there. Yeah. I could, we should show it live. We could show it on air. I know it's recorded. It's. Um, Yes, yeah, not, not video, so it's probably useless taking it. Oh, no, you've got video, so you're all right, mate. Yeah. That's good. Um, but um, good luck with the healing process. I hear it's um, quite a thing, getting your finger chopped off on the end. I had to change the finger ID on my computer to my middle finger. <laughs> that was it. Yeah, that was a shock. Um, you've got your final dad joke queued up. Yeah. You've had this prepared uh, for six months. I haven't uh, had it prepared at all. It's going to be one of my worst. <laughs> so I was just going to roll with it and try whatever, whatever came up first. Okay, go. This, <laughs> is this, you, this yeah. looks rude just passing yeah, the way you're laughing. It's not rude. It's, this is really bad. Okay, go for it. I'll, get, I'll, I'll give you one once you're done. Okay. Right. After an unsuccessful harvest, why did the farmer decide to try a career in music? Don't know. Because he had a ton of sick beats. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my I gosh. I told you I didn't prepare for this one. <laughs> Oh, sorry. <laughs> well, my one's not much better. It was one that I used on the final Rask Live this week. Um, astronomers got tired watching the moon go around the Earth for 24 hours. They decided to call it a day. <laughs> <laughs> I had another one about astronauts. So what's, uh, what's the astronaut's favourite key on a keyboard? Don't know. Space bar. Oh, I don't think of that. That's a good one. You should have lived with that one. I know. I should have lived. It always happens. It's always getting excited. Then freak out and then excited. Oh, uh, well, a, mate. a fun year, is, though. Appreciate it's, it. It's been a hugely fun year. So thank you. And um, thank you to everyone that, that tunes in every week and puts up with our antics. Thanks um, for all the mentions and the good wishes about the finger, too. I appreciate those. Yeah, everyone that wrote in and said, Drew, I hope you're okay. Um, I think they realized that I wasn't very sympathetic. And so I was like, <laughs> oh, I hope he's all right. Um, but thank you to everyone. Thank you to everyone that listens to the podcast. It's a Waddle client or a Rask member or has taken one of our courses or suggested them to a friend. Um, that it's because of everyone listening to this. It's because of our community that we're able to do this and um, we're able to reach more people, get good interviews, speak with really interesting people and bring those to you. So thank you to everyone. We'll be back in 2024 with an even bigger year. Um, the podcasts at Rask have been growing at about 50 to 60% compound a year. Um, we won't grow like that forever, but I'm keen to see what 24 brings and I think it'll be huge, mate. So, well done. yep, it's going to be a big uh, couple of years for us ahead. Uh, Waddle Partners uh, with more events and um, things that we're doing together. So um, it's going to be exciting. Big year. Don't forget to get financial advice, review your mortgage, review your budget, review your investment portfolio, clear out the crap this Christmas. It's a good time to sit down and think about where you want to be in five years. That's your North Star. Work backwards from there with savings and a portfolio that actually makes sense. Drew, heaps of fun as always. Thanks for joining me, mate. Good to see you. 
For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.